Hey, everybody, this is Heidi St. John. Thanks for tuning in today. You guys have found me at my little corner of the internet. Today is Wednesday, October the 27th. And today, you guys are in for a real treat. Uh, two of my favorite people in the whole wide world in the medical community are on the call with me today. Dr. Richard Bartlett uh, is phoning in today from West Texas. And uh, he's joining me in the studio today with my good friend, Scott Miller, who runs Miller Pediatrics here in the great state of Washington. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. So a lot's happening, uh, obviously, in the news and as it pertains to COVID and all of the uh, the mandates, the mask mandates, the vaccine mandates, and why here over and over again that uh, people are discouraged and frustrated. And so uh, I thought, who better to encourage them than to bring on uh, two men who are just knee-deep in the hoopla, as they like to say, here in the great state of Washington with regard to COVID-19. Months and months ago, I interviewed uh, Dr. Richard Bartlett, who's been at the front lines of this. He was the one who turned me on to budesonide, and we did a couple of podcasts on why that works and why it's such a good idea for us to uh, to start using it uh, in the treatment of COVID-19. And then uh more recently, I started working with uh, Scott Miller, who runs uh, Miller Pediatrics here in Washington State, and they've got some really interesting perspectives. So uh, welcome, gentlemen, to the show. Good to be here. Well, I'm honored to be here. So, uh, Richard, I'm going to start with you. So give us a little bit of background. You practice medicine in West Texas. You and your beautiful wife have been married for almost 34 years. You guys have seven kids. You and I are we're kind of competing in the grandkid category, I think. Feels that I way. think you're I think you're winning. I only have two grandkids at the second. So <laughs> So I got three. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm so, one ahead, one up. Uh, I tell you, everyone is priceless and mm. we're so grateful. Yeah, very, very true. And you have been uh, really at the front lines. You work in emergency medicine, is that correct? You know, back at the beginning of the pandemic, I was actually working a 48-hour shift in March when uh, the strategy of budesonide, aspirin, and an antibiotic called clarithromycin uh, came to me, and I was shocked how well it worked. And then we uh, did re- research, reverse engineered why it worked. Uh, budesonide is a medicine that's been around for decades. It's generic. It's readily available. It's inexpensive. And uh, yet it was uh, a game changer for helping people uh, beat COVID. And uh, then later, Oxford University, uh, months later, did a study called the STOIC trial, a randomized controlled trial, and they proved that their conclusion was after the STOIC trial and a second randomized controlled trial called the principal trial, that budesonide against COVID could prevent 90% of hospitalizations, ER visits, and urgent care visits if it's used in early treatment. And so early treatment is the key uh, on every disease. It's not just COVID, but uh, yeah, I've been involved in that. Uh, uh, Most recent uh, project was with the Texas Department of Emergency Management, they started setting up monoclonal antibody infusion centers in Texas, and we had one that I was a part of starting uh, at the startup in uh, Odessa, Texas. And um, boy, that's a game changer too. Um, The statistics are 70% of deaths and hospitalizations can be prevented with monoclonal antibodies for COVID. So that's a game changer too. That takes 30 minutes to get the infusion. That's a pretty good investment of 30 minutes. Yeah, no kidding. And this is this is a massive improvement because when you and I talked months and months ago, you know, we're still really far into this thing. And the fact of the matter is uh, people are afraid. 
And we're still seeing that fear. I mean, if you were to walk into a grocery store here in Vancouver, Washington, you'd see 90%, upwards of 90% of people still wearing masks. People are still very afraid. It's on the news here constantly. Uh, Even though we know that nationwide and even in in the states, the numbers are plummeting. How is it happening? How is it going in in Texas right now as far as uh, cases? Well, I was talking to a friend that's a state senator in Texas, and he was... um, I was telling him what's happening in West Texas, where we've been using this uh, monoclonal antibodies and early treatment has been talked about weekly on the radio. And what we are seeing here is um, two months ago, our hospitals were on diversion, meaning the hospitals were full. Uh, They wouldn't even accept people to the ER at times with a heart attack, stroke, or, or, or a car wreck. They had to be transported many times to other counties or even states. And uh, when we started the uh, infusion centers, and uh, that also gave us a platform to talk about early treatment, um, we now, the since, uh, since COVID census at one hospital went from 107 COVID patients down to 33 uh, mm-hmm. lately. So we're just seeing the numbers plummet. What that did was the hospitals are no longer on diversion. Um, these are county hospitals that are trauma centers for the region. And uh, uh, we need those resources. We have tremendous pro- healthcare workers and providers and resources there that were tied up, that were uh, log jammed. And so, so I'm thankful that uh, we're seeing normalcy return. People mm-hmm. are going to, I went to the Texas Tech football game Saturday. Even though they barely lost, it was a beautiful thing to see people out around each other, enjoying uh being shoulder to shoulder without masks and a whole stadium full of people acting normal. Mm. And uh, so normalcy is returning to West Texas. Um, the, the word is out that there's early effective outpatient therapies um, that have been proven. Here at Texas Tech, El Paso, they are about to start studying ivermectin against COVID. They got a grant from the NIH. Well, uh, that's news. That's news. Yeah, so this is the first time. Yeah. So when you and I were talking about this earlier this morning and uh, we, we, you know, we've been talking about ivermectin. You and I talked about this on the show last time, ivermectin, budesonide, this whole idea of early treatment, like that's the actual ticket because we're trying to keep people out of the hospitals. And so for the NIH to actually fund research on ivermectin, uh, maybe just maybe they're saying ivermectin just maybe might actually work. Well, you you would think that they wouldn't do it if it was a waste of time and money. Um, it is taxpayer money. And mm-hmm. so um, I'm saying it's at least evidence that there's uh, some credibility and that it needs to be studied for. Uh, and there's, there are already many studies out there. But I, I think this is valuable and that uh, more information makes it even easier to make a intelligent decision. And sometimes you learn things that you didn't expect to learn um, uh, risks and benefits, uh, side effects, lacks of side effects, uh, efficacy. And so um, uh, every time you look at something, you might uh, pick up on a new fact. And so I appreciate the science. Mm. And uh, I'm really proud that it's Texas Tech, my alma mater, that's involved in this. Yeah, that's exciting. What do you say, uh, and then I'm going to get to Scott because I know he's going to have a lot to say about this too, but when you see people and you know Fauci at really at the head of this and now we're learning that he did they did indeed fund gain of function research and uh, it, it, it appears that he lied to uh, Rand Paul in the House in the Senate what do you say to people who are listening still to the mainstream media who are living in fear you know that there are early treatments for this 
And now we've got, at least here in Washington State, the vaccine mandate. Seattle and King County basically closed down. You can't go to a uh, a grocery store or a restaurant in Seattle now unless you have a vaccine passport. And wow. this is spreading. I think it will unless we build a beachhead for it here in Washington State to try to prevent this from happening around the country. Uh, this could be a reality around the country. What's your view on uh, the current state of how we're continuing to talk about this on the mainstream media with regard to the mask, with regard to the vaccine mandate, vaccine passports? Where do you stand on all of that? Well, January 1, 2020, we were at a crossroads. Uh, we had to decide whether to go this way or that or both ways. And um, so one one path that uh, was promoted was vaccine. It's the second path was uh, early effective outpatient treatment. That was really neglected. It was never promoted uh, by uh, the powers that be for the most part. And mm-hmm. so, um, but we're seeing the fruit of early effective outpatient treatment uh, validated by Oxford University. Uh, and if you'll look at West Texas, the numbers uh, don't lie. Uh, we're seeing uh, that uh, life is returning to normal. Uh, hospitals are no longer on diversion. Uh, the numbers of COVID patients are plummeting. Um, we, you know, Colin, Colin Powell recently, uh, passed, he was a, uh, fully vaccinated person, um, and died of, uh, my understanding, COVID complications. Um, I think that's no longer being denied. Of course, mm-hmm. people, there are people that will say many things, but the fact that he was fully vaccinated and then passed is significant at least. And, uh, so I think, uh, early effective outpatient treatment. I'm not saying, uh, you know, in Texas, we don't have a, uh, our governor said there will not be uh, people losing their jobs. Uh, private practices cannot force vaccines to or, or fire people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I appreciate that. Governor Ron DeSantis has led the way uh, with early effective outpatient treatment and promoting monoclonal antibody infusion centers across Florida. Texas has done likewise. And so we're seeing the effects. The numbers are dropping. In, in Texas, mm-hmm. um, the numbers are dropping, especially in West Texas, where it's very much promoted. And um, at the same time, you look at places like Israel that are highly vaccinated and they're having problems. Mm-hmm. I think up in the Northeast, the report I saw is that some of the most vaccinated uh, states and counties are having uh, more trouble than the uh, than the county, than the states that are doing early effective treatment promotion. And what what so, do you attribute that to? You know, for the for the for the regular you know person who doesn't have a medical degree who's looking at this going, hey, I just got the you know I just got my third uh, Pfizer vaccination or whatever. Who's the third one now? Is yeah. it Moderna is given the third one. I just got my oh. third vaccination and I'm and I got sick. What, what? Well, you know, here's the inter- interesting thing. As the doctor for the first three weeks, uh, non six days a week, 11 hour days in the hazmat suit, sweating away uh, in this infusion center, uh, nearly by the end of that month, 1,200 patients infused. I can't tell you how many were fully vaccinated and angry that they were there. Um, and so th- these treatment strategies work whether you're vaccinated or not. If you get COVID, thank God. Because everybody's priceless. Yeah, that's uh, right. But there's certain, you know, uh, I'm for unity. You're for unity. Um, we love people. Whether they're vaccinated or not is a non-issue. People are priceless. And um, as far as what's going on here, uh, the, the apps we had, um, you know, if you look at January, at the end of February, uh, end of January, like February 1st, um, we pretty much were at the end of the first uh, wave of COVID-19 before four months of peace. And then the Delta variant was upon us. And uh, 
we had only 7% vaccinated at that time. The 7% in Texas would not explain why uh, uh, we were down to uh, minimal numbers of February 1. Uh, but what would explain, explain that is herd immunity of people who have recovered and um, early effective outpatient treatment uh, contributing to the herd immunity. Mm -hmm. And again, we're seeing that get squashed again with early effective outpatient therapies. Um, and so it's not my idea. Oxford University is the oldest university in the English speaking world. They have uh, 72 Nobel Prize laureates. They've been around since 1096. They seem to be a reliable source of information. Yeah. And they say 90% of hospitalizations could be prevented with early treatment of budesonide. I yeah. think they might be right. And uh, so um, we, we need to focus on the things that work, let go of the things that don't work, that don't make sense. Um, there, there have been some things that have actually been, looked really silly to me. But, uh, you know, uh, when people are in fear, they do sometimes silly things. But mm -hmm. I, I'm not in, we don't want to mock people. We want to help people. And uh, I'm a uniter, not a divider. Um, we have, uh, we're here to help. We're never to hurt. Uh, I would uh, ask people to only be constructive, never destructive. Um, and we're not adversarial with institutions. We need to, um, you know, when there's communication, eventually uh, there can be a meeting of the minds and, and uh, harmony and unity and, and peace in our communities. And that's what we need. Uh, we're seeing uh, evidence-based medicine play out in Texas where um they're saying no vaccine mandates um, from the governor's office. And we're seeing early treatments being promoted by the governor um, with the Texas Department of Emergency Management uh, through monoclonal antibodies. And we're seeing the fruit of it, good fruit. Mm -hmm. And uh, 36 million Texans, uh, you know, 36 million Texans. And yet the numbers are plummeting now, especially in West Texas. So there's hope. Mm -hmm. We're not helpless. We're not hopeless. Uh, this is the way it can be everywhere. If someone gets sick, seek early treatment. Call the local hospital and ask where the monoclonal antibody infusion center is. Regeneron is the brand that I'm familiar with, uh, that I've seen great results with. Uh, but that's one strategy. Early treatment works. Um, uh, budesonide is what Oxford proved. Uh, Ivermectin is being studied by Texas Tech, which I would say at least says that it's a, a possibility that it would help. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we need to promote the good and, uh, and seek peace. Yeah, and I think this is also how you calm fear is just by saying, hey, we don't have to be afraid because there are treatments. And I know, Scott, I'm going to turn to you for just a minute because you have been uh, at the front lines of this here in Washington State. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about you and the practice that you have been, uh, that you started. Hi, yeah, I started a, my own pediatric practice about four and a half, well, four and a half years ago uh, here in southern Washington. And... Um, you know, everything went downhill on my birthday. It was March 12th when, uh, you know, we started seeing things shut down when the NCAA basketball championship, I think it was that day. Anyway, um, and for those my, of us who don't follow basketball, yes. we're like, what? So that that's the round ball on the hoop, right? It is. <laughs> um, my brother's an ENT surgeon down in Southern California and I called him. I'm like, I'm like, dude, what's going on? And, you know, it was, you know, it was obviously we had heard about you know, the virus, but mm -hmm. it was just shocking the approach that was being taken. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I'd been studying it quite a bit because the studies that I'd seen out of China, and then I saw a study out of Italy where kids were virtually unaffected by it. And that had me pretty curious. Uh, so 
<clears throat> and then in the news, when I kept hearing over and over, there's no treatment, there's no treatment, there's literally nothing we can do, go home right. and isolate and hide. And, and that didn't resonate with, with me because it seems like um, there's got to be, you know, the Lord gave us an immune system. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems yeah. like there's well, something the, we can do. And truly, I mean, your <clears throat> story really resonates with uh, Dr. Bartlett because the first time I interviewed him, he was saying that the Lord had really given him this this answer that he saw really as an answer to prayer you know these doctors you know you guys going home at night seeing all of the devastation that's happening in the hospitals the fear that's rampant in the country right now sort of subtle over the nation like a cold wet blanket and you guys went to prayer and i know that that's what happened with uh with dr bartlett and he started saying lord you know we need an answer and you did the same thing and what happened (laughs) well i mean it it wasn't once i mean it was i mean Mm -hmm. like throughout um I I found some obscure, I mean, for me, because I'm just searching and Mm -hmm. searching, I'm just Googling and searching, trying to find information. And I found that article, I'm reading through it, and it was just, it was talking about melatonin and its impact on inflammasomes and NLRP3 and caspase 1. I didn't really know these words, I mean, a little bit, but, and, and then again with the data showing that, you know, kids, you know, 10 and under were virtually unscathed by it. And, um, I still have that article saved. I, mm-hmm. I go back to it every now and then. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, it just, it, it seemed like it was like the Lord just gave me this kind of roadmap to, to go by, to at least, you know, begin my, you know, I'm, you know, I joke, I'm just a nobody that, you know, treats kids in Washington, but I felt like I was supposed to do something with mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And I just, started studying every single day and I came across, uh, you know, just Dr. Schwelt, uh, Medcram and he would do these studies or, you know, you do these videos and there was the in vitro study of ivermectin in Australia. And that got me very curious because I use that quite a bit for children. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, I've, I've heard Dr. Bartlett, I, I, I heard your interview with Dr. Mobin Syed, um, uh, the cool beans and, you know, just, you know, I, I don't do critical care, but, you know, I'd have families coming in that were sick and, you know, I'd, I would do cultures and, you know, NCF swabs and viral and bacterial cultures and they would come up negative and they'd be getting worse and they'd go to the hospital and they'd be sent home. And I'm like, what is going on? Nothing's Well, they're working. often sending them home <clears throat> without anything, anything. Anything. Right. And this was, I mean, this was last, you know, February, March, April. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I started doing albuterol and budesonide, and I didn't find that albuterol was very effective, but budesonide was. Um, so I would just do that in clinic, but, you know, most people didn't have, you know, at that time, if they didn't have an asthmatic at home, they didn't have a nebulizer machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see a lot of low-income that can't, you know, over-the-counter or with a prescription, you know, $400 right. for the inhaler. Right. And so um, anyways, and just more as time went by, like, April, May, June, um, I'd been asked to, I'd been sharing 
the information I had, just writing it on a piece of paper and just handing it to families one by one in the clinic and just telling them to, you know, make sure that, you know, the grandparents know about this, you know, the vitamin D, you know, just in writing down the studies and checking it out and, and the importance of vitamin D and vitamin C and zinc. And um, I was using N-acetylcysteine and having people, you know, if they were especially older population, just sharing information about glutathione, um, B12, um, and then for, you know, when they started getting sick, adding B1. Mm-hmm. and I mean, just whatever I could find that, you know, that we could try to inhibit. And it the, turns out those supplements were pretty important and it, they continue to be very important. I know that that's a huge part of what you've been promoting around uh, the district, just telling people, hey, you guys, vitamin D, vitamin C, you know, these are the things. Uh, Dr. Bartlett, you have an, a similar issue uh, there. Last time I talked to you, we we're talking about the importance of, of supplements. Do you agree? Yeah, supplements are important, but, uh, you know, we have some very valuable tools. And one of those tools is budesonide. Another one is monoclonal antibodies. Ivermectin is being studied. Many people have seen success with it. Uh, aspirin, believe it or not, over-the-counter, but a powerful tool. One of the problems that happens with uh, COVID is, uh, is uh, th- clotting. Uh, I saw one study at the NIH database that said, 14.1% of COVID patients hospitalized experience venous thromboemboli, a fancy word for clots. And so what happens with clots? Um, well, a clot to the coronary artery is a heart attack. A clot to the cerebral artery is a stroke. A clot in the lungs is called a pulmonary embolus. Those are problems, disasters. And so that's why aspirin is critical as far as a very valuable tool um, if someone's allergic to aspirin, there's other medicines that can work. So, of course, don't take something you're allergic to. And and uh, the place to start is your regular doctor. That's always the right place to start. But that's not the only option you have. But that's a uh, that is the right place to start. Mm. And well, go ahead, the problem Scott. we're having in Washington, you're ex- exactly right, and that's um, part of our protocol. And you know, I talked to. I've talked to church groups um, around our area, and you, that's one of the primary things I tell everybody. Ask, you know, it's a clotting issue. Um, fortunately, I I know it's not a lot, but I, we've been able to treat about well over fourteen hundred patients locally, and we've had people call from around the you know family members that have heard about what we've been doing um, from all over the country, and that's first line like get on aspirin, early budesonide. I've I don't know I'm allowed to say this, but I've started using ivermectin early on, and it was, you know, just anecdotally for me, I had people telling me, you know, the next day, you know, within two days, severe symptoms gone. Um, I find that it's a little bit, just personally in patients that I'm seeing now, it's a little more difficult to treat. I see that some of these patients are getting sicker faster. Um, uh, We're having some secondary pneumonia is a bit of a problem. And, uh, and and interestingly, I, I switched to clarithromycin a couple months ago, and we were seeing better efficacy there. But uh, yeah, that's what we've been preaching: early, you know, early treatment that's that's proven to. You know, my goal is I don't want people to go to the hospital, right? We want to keep the hospitals clear for for you know patients that need it. And I think if we're doing our job, patients should not have to go. The problem is. The vast, vast majority of the people that call us when I say, what did your PCP say? They said to go – nothing. Like they just said – they didn't tell us anything. They said to go to the hospital if our symptoms got worse. And I, I don't know. I can't abide by that. So I just – we just started prior to – I had my license 
at an emergency suspension of my license uh, because of the use of ivermectin. And um, we had just started doing Regeneron, and it was a miracle, mm-hmm. just just amazing. We have some amazing nurses that had lost their jobs that asked if they could volunteer, and I, I've never seen anything like it. I thought, like, when I would use ivermectin along with the myriad of other other treatments, that that, that was a miracle. But when I saw these people that could hadn't eaten in three days, could mm-hmm. barely walk— and an hour, hour and a half later, they're standing there chatting with me like nothing had happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not all that's not always the, the case, but well, I, I think that's the message, right? I mean, that's the message that you guys are trying to get out is that there is early treatment. There is hope. Uh, you don't have to be afraid of this thing. I'm I'm curious, uh, uh, Dr. Bartlett, I'm curious to to find out from you when when people call you, what are the first symptoms? And I'm going to ask you the same thing, Scott, because I have a feeling you guys are going to say exactly the same thing. What are the first symptoms that you are seeing that lets you know, hey, this person this person could needs that early intervention and they need it uh, right now? When someone calls you, what is the first thing that you're having them do right now? Oh, you know, uh, if you if in doubt, get tested. They have early quick tests that are pr- pretty reliable um, at. Uh, uh, at uh, drug stores and uh, many stores and uh, chain stores in Texas. And so get one of those tests um, and check it uh, or go somewhere and get tested. Uh, consider this like a rattlesnake bite. Don't don't think, well, I'll get to it in a couple of days. I might try some over-the-counter medicines, some some supplements. I would, uh, I would know, you need to know what you're dealing with. If it's negative, it's negative. If it's positive, it's positive. Uh, the things that, uh, are the common symptoms, it's a uh, upper respiratory symptoms usually are the first ones, but some people only have GI symptoms like diarrhea. I saw one study that said 60% of COVID patients have diarrhea. My understanding is the first person that died in, uh, in this County that I'm in right now in the hospital had his presenting symptom of only diarrhea. And that was at the very beginning of the crisis. So um, uh, you, it's a respiratory virus. So you can see uh, some people think they have a sinus infection for the first uh, two or three days. And many times are treated for a sinus infection empirically uh, before they finally get tested positive. So if you have symptoms that might be COVID, get treated, get tested. If you have it, get treated early. Keep it boring. Don't let this get out of control. There are things that can be done. There are things that help. We're not helpless or hopeless, but um, you, at the same time, putting your head in the sand is, is a bad idea. A lot of heartache is happening all around us. Uh, I, I, we all have seen tremendous tragedy all around us, and uh, uh, so much of it is avoidable with early treatment. Mm, that's right. And, and around here, I know uh, you guys are having tremendous success there. I was talking to Scott yesterday and he was saying also tremendous success here with monoclonal antibody treatment. What do you need to, uh, Scott, what do you have to, in order to qualify for that, what do you need to be diagnosed? I'm imagining you have to have a positive test and then what? Wait, first of all, Dr. Bartley, did you say keep it boring? <laughs> yeah, keep it boring. I, keep I, it so, boring. I love that. Um, <laughs> and I'll say I, I had COVID two weeks ago. Um, and my wife had, and, and what you're saying, cause so what I see, especially in this area, there's a lot of people with allergies and so they're not sure if it's just allergies. Um, and then, yeah, I've had, I've had patients that it's only GI. I've had patients where it's just back pain mm-hmm. or headache, you know, or, you know, and I'll say anything unusual that that's out of the norm for you. Um, and, and that doesn't mean treat. It's just like, just like, that's the alert. 
Um, you know, and it's like, you know, loss of taste, loss of smell and I'm like treat we do rapid tests in the well, office. I love that he says treat it like a rattlesnake <laughs> bite yeah. because when my son came down with uh COVID and I called you, you were like, We're doing this now. I said his symptoms are very, very mild and you said, I don't care if they're mild, we're gonna treat him right now. And the, and he actually did great because of that early intervention. We put him on budesonide right away, put him on ivermectin, uh started him on uh, you know, uh melatonin and a couple of other things and went up cast. To, yes, yep, that's right. And he did he did great within three days. He was a hundred percent improved. Well he was an asthmatic too. Mm, yeah, so. yeah, my son has severe asthma. Yeah. 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 And so yeah, that, that's exactly right. Early effective uh, therapies do work, and we're seeing the uh, evidence of that. Uh, Governor Rand, Ron DeSantis, uh, kudos to him, uh, leading the charge of early treatment. And uh, th- thank you for what you all are doing up there in, in Washington State. Yeah, that's right. And you guys are having very good success there with a monoclonal antibody treatment. Uh, what does a person need to qualify for that there? Well, I can tell you, um, they need to be within the first 10 days of symptoms. They need to have a positive test. They need to have symptoms. And uh, finally, they, uh, there are some criteria that would, it would exclude you. If you're very low on oxygen, if you're hospitalized, they won't let you get this right now. Uh, but if you're in the emergency room, they will, uh, which is a part of a hospital. But if you cross that threshold into the hospital, then they won't. So, Why do you um, think that it, is? I, that well, confuses um, me. Yeah, uh, uh, Senator Rand Paul and I wrote an op-ed article about that um, because uh, some of these things are arbitrary lines that have been drawn uh, that maybe they should be uh, moved uh, because uh, we we want every everything that could possibly help to be employed for everybody. This is, um, uh, but uh, the bottom line is you have to have symptoms, and then also you have to have a pre-exist or a uh, comorbidity something that puts you at increased risk. And the most common one in the United States is a BMI of 25 or more. And so, you know, unless you're a marathon runner, um, you're probably going to have a BMI of 25 or more. And so most people qualify with that. But, you know, we talk about diabetes, high blood pressure being over 65. But if someone's BMI is over 25, that qualifies. And so this is a game changer. Um, I didn't come up with monoclonal antibodies. It's a technology that's been around for approximately 40 years. Uh, we know a lot about it. We know that the, the main risk is just like with anything, you could be have an allergy to it. And the worst kind of allergy would be uh, anaphylaxis, a severe allergic reaction. So we're prepared for that at these infusion centers. Uh, but, uh, you know, we know what we're dealing with. We know that this isn't going to be something that permanently alters you. Um, it's not something made. Uh, with things that are controversial right now. This is uh, something that's been used for a long time, and it's saving lives, which is what I'm all about. Everybody's priceless. We should help as many people as we can. We should never hurt people. We should always have a slant to to decrease suffering and to uh, do what we can personally in our area. Uh, everybody has that opportunity. All right, you guys, for more information, go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash podcast, and you can download the show notes there today. Thanks for listening, everybody, and I will see you back here tomorrow at the intersection of faith and culture. For more encouragement, visit me online at TheBusyMom.com.